A note before our regular episode this week. In the days following Hamas's attacks, the war in Israel and Gaza has reverberated across Harvard's campus. We've seen backlash against student groups and threats against students, criticisms of the university's response, and a thousand-person rally that stretched across Harvard Yard. The Crimson is committed to providing extensive coverage of all of this and more. Stay on top of the news by following the Crimson's website and our multimedia platforms. Now, back to News Talk. From Plimpton Street, this is News Talk. I'm Frank Joe. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Last Wednesday, more than 60 protesters gathered at Cambridge City Hall to demand justice for Syed Faisal, a 20-year-old who was shot and killed by Cambridge police in January. Just days before, a state judge had ruled that the actions of Liam McMahon, the officer who shot him, were, quote, objectively reasonable. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! If we don't get it, shut it down! If we don't get it, shut it down! Protesters called for McMahon's immediate removal from the police force. McMahon's attorney has stood by the judge's findings. If Faisal don't get it, shut it down! We don't get it, shut it down! This week on News Talk, the latest chapter in a reckoning on Cambridge police. My name is Ryan H. Dongwin, class of 2025, and I cover the Cambridge and Harvard Police Departments. My name is Yusuf Esmia, class of 25, and I cover Harvard and Cambridge Police. Thank you so much, Ryan and Yusuf, for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about the updates to the Syed Faisal case that happened on October 5th? What is the new information that we now know? So on October 5th, the Middlesex District Attorney's Office released the long-awaited inquest report into the police killing of Saeed Faisal. And for the first time, the officer who shot and killed Faisal, Officer Liam McMahon, was named. So that was a major update uh, because prior to that, city officials had been waiting for the completion of the inquest in order to release that name. And additionally, uh, due to the findings of the report, which concluded that Officer McMahon's actions were, quote, objectively reasonable, the Middlesex District Attorney's Office has officially made the decision that they will not be bringing any charges against Officer McMahon. Following the release of this report, what was the public's response? City officials have stood by the findings of the inquest. So, for example, CPD, Cambridge Police Department Commissioner Christine A. Elo, basically said it's unfortunate and her heart goes out to side Faisal's family. But at the same time, the report does show, at least according to the words of the report, that uh, Officer Liam McMahon's actions were reasonable. And the same goes to, uh, with city manager Yun Huang and others. But there has been one group that have come out in opposition to the inquest findings. And it's the same group that has been holding protests over and over again for months, ever since January when the actual situation occurred. It's the Party for Socialism and Liberation, the Boston chapter. On Wednesday, they held a joint demonstration alongside the Boston South Asian Coalition and Bain, the Bangladesh Association of New England. And around 60 or 70 protesters showed up um, Wednesday evening around 6 p.m. to voice their opinions that this was not justified. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened in the Syed Faisal case to begin with? When we say the police killing of Syed Faisal, what do we mean? 
On January 4th, uh, Cambridge police responded to a 911 call that 20-year-old Saeed Faisal, who was a student at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, living in Cambridge, was having a mental health crisis. And when Cambridge police responded on scene, Faisal was seen having jumped out of a window um, and he was harming himself. Police officials tried to confront him and they approached him. This led to a chase where Faisal began to um, run from them and this led to a six-block chase through Cambridge Port. Eventually, officers surrounded and trapped Faisal in a neighborhood um, backyard. At that point, one of the officers, in an attempt again to subdue Faisal, fired a non-lethal sponge round, so one round at Faisal that didn't do anything. And at that point, according to the inquest report, he began briskly approaching the officer, Liam McMahon, and Officer McMahon backed up. He commanded that Faisal drop the knife, and he said, please don't make me do this. But at that point, once he got within about five to 10 feet of McMahon, uh, McMahon fired six rounds at Faisal until he was knocked down. At that point, uh, emergency medical aid was administered, and he was taken to Massachusetts General Hospital, but he was later declared dead. In addition to providing more contextual information about when, where, and how the situation unfolded, the inquest report also revealed that multiple eyewitnesses were spoken to. One of them described Faisal as wild-eyed and frantic, and also observed CPT officers chasing Faisal while calmly, uh, in quotations, attempting to engage with him. And that's something that hadn't been made public before this report was released. And how many of these details are newly revealed by the report? So um, I'd say the report, for the most part, confirms the account given by Cambridge police in their initial statements right after the January 4th shooting. Maybe there are some more details about like how many steps Faisal took at certain points or how many rounds exactly were fired. But this account is the same account that was given by the Cambridge Police Department after the case initially happened. I wonder then if we can return to what the Party for Socialism and Liberation Boston chapter is now demanding in the wake of this inquest report's release. What are they saying now after knowing that the district attorney has recommended not to press forward with charges against McMahon? Well, the Party for Socialism and Liberation has been making the same demands at all of their protests, and they've held more than a dozen at this point. And those demands are to name, fire, and prosecute the officers involved in Said Faiso's death. So now, now that the inquest has released the name of the officer who shot Said Faisal, they're calling for Officer Liam McMahon to be fired from his role as an officer with Cambridge Police Department. In terms of next steps then, what are the next steps that we can look to? What have protesters indicated that they plan to do? The Party for Socialism and Liberation has said that they plan to continue demonstrations and trying to apply pressure until Officer McMahon is fired. But again, city officials have maintained that they stand by the findings of the report. And the findings of the report are that his actions were justified and you know there wouldn't necessarily be cause for him to be fired. But at the most recent protest, they also made some other demands. Certain people who spoke at the rally, which included two candidates for Cambridge City Council, Dan Totten and I.L. Zuby. So it wasn't just members of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, but some different speakers talked about the budget of the Cambridge Police Department, how they would like to see that be reduced, how they would like to see the Cambridge Police Department be, quote, demilitarized, and how they would like to see more of this funding reinvested into what they described as other community needs. You mentioned candidates for Cambridge City Council, of which in total there are two dozen and two showed up to this rally. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what it meant that they were there and their sort of role in all of this. Sure. So 
Dantoten and Ayal Zubi are both relatively younger compared to the rest of the city council candidates. Ayal Zubi is actually a Harvard graduate, class of 2023. They're both making their face, making their names known because the city council elections are up and coming. One other interesting dynamic to point out here is that Dan Totten most recently worked as an aide for city councilor Quinton Zondervan. Now, throughout the whole Said Faisal ordeal, Councilor Zondervan has been one of the more outspoken members of city council and of city officials to call for change in the wake of these findings. In a post on X after the release of the report, Councilor Zondervan expressed some dissatisfaction and said that this doesn't sort of close the matter, doesn't solve the matter. And he is uh, not running for re-election. So, you know, there is a void that could be filled by that in terms of Dan Totten. But again, Dan Totten is also still, you know, younger, one of the more progressive candidates in the race. At the end of the day, then, where are we in the case of Saeed Faisal? And what are the next steps, if any, that we should be looking to? City Manager Huang, in his statement released following the release of the inquest, again, he stood by the findings of the inquest, but he also highlighted some of the reforms that Cambridge Police has started in the wake of this police killing, which include moving towards implementing body cameras, which include working with the Police Executive Research Forum, which is a nonprofit who's doing an independent review of the department. And he has committed to continuing to work with them to find potential reforms to increase accountability and transparency within the department. So even if it seems that this specific personnel matter is closed in terms of what's going to happen to Officer McMahon, that doesn't mean that the city doesn't want to look towards other changes that they can make because of this case in terms of how they can have better response. Thank you so much, Yusuf and Ryan, for joining us to talk through the police killing of Saeed Faisal and potential reforms and steps that are coming in the wake of this release of the inquest report. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, thanks for having us. When Claudia Golden first became a PhD student under economist Robert W. Fogel's wing at the University of Chicago in the late 60s, she found herself with a Nobel Prize-winning advisor whose own advisor had also won the Nobel Prize. This month, she won it herself. And with that, she became the first female economist at Harvard to do so, and the third woman to ever receive the honor. One of our reporters joins us now to walk through this historic moment. Hi, I'm Rahim D. Hamid, and I'm one of the FAS admin reporters for The Crimson. Thank you so much, Rahim, for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about who Professor Golden is and her academic area of research in the first place? Absolutely. So Professor Claudia Golden is a professor in the economics department here at Harvard. She's the first woman to be tenured in the economics department here, which is obviously sort of a a landmark accomplishment. She came to Harvard in 1990. Before then, she taught at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Princeton, UPenn. Um, She has her degrees from Cornell and from, from Chicago, and she calls herself a third generation Nobel laureate in the sense that her advisor was a Nobel laureate, and his advisor was a Nobel laureate. She, she f- focuses um, on labor economics and also the role of women in economies. So in fact, the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences that awarded her the Nobel Prize on, uh, on Monday awarded it to her for, quote, for having advanced our understanding of women's labor market outcomes. And so she's done things like write about and, and study and analyze the impact of the release of the birth control pill and how that's impacted women in economies, sort of the influences of marriage and child and, and sort of at what age do, do women have children, if they have children, like what that what impact that has. And she's also a historian in a lot of ways, right? So the press release that was, that was put out for her says that, quote, Claudia Golden has trawled the archives and collected over 200 years of data from the U.S., allowing her to demonstrate how and why gender differences in earnings and employment rates have changed over time. So she has a, a very wide range of, of data that she looks at and data that goes back not just some decades but hundreds of years. So, so that, that is a, a historical element to her work. Um, she actually put out a paper 
uh, the day she won the Nobel Prize, this was a coincidence, she didn't know she was going to win the Nobel Prize, called, quote, Why Women Won, which is a super sort of coincidental title. The article is, or the paper is about how women's rights have increased over time. It's obviously a very funny thing to come out the day that she won the Nobel Prize. So I wonder then if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like watching the news break. Could you walk us through the day Professor Golden received the prize? What was it like catching her in the moments after she received the prize? And what was the day like for her following? Essentially, she said she was called around 4.30 in the morning because they call the, the winner before they announce it. The Nobel Committee announced the award at 5.45 a.m. I was watching as it sort of was happening. Um, and they said this New Year's Nobel Prize is about women in economies, something to that effect. And then they said Claudia Golden, Harvard University. And I ran to my laptop. I, I called my editor. I was like, the, there's a Harvard professor who's won the Nobel Prize. I called her, I believe it was around 6.30. And we chatted for a bit. Obviously, she was incredibly busy because the announcement had happened for 45 minutes now. She, her, I assume her phone was blowing up. Her emails were blowing up. Um, and then later that day at 11.15, the university held a press conference for her where both the chairman of the economics department, Ed Glazer, and Professor Golden spoke. Um, and so she, sort of she explained her work and then took questions as well. Um, and then later on, there will be sort of a big award ceremony that she will, that she will attend in Sweden. Of course. Thank you so much. What was it like then being at that press conference, watching a landmark economist and economic historian speak publicly about her work after having just won the Nobel Prize? It was incredibly historic, frankly, because not only was Professor Go- is Professor Golden the first tenured uh, woman economic professor in the economics department, she's the third woman ever to win the Nobel Prize in economics. And she's the first woman at Harvard to win the Nobel Prize in economics. And she's also the first woman ever to win the Nobel Prize in economics like by herself because the past two women who've won have shared the prize with men. So this this is a, a monumental achievement in, in many different ways. And so watching that unfold, watching her talk about her work was very, very exciting. It was it was a very cool experience. I was there with a number of reporters from, from outlets. I know that I, I believe the Wall Street Journal and the Boston Globe and, and um, AP News were there for sure. Uh, some outlets from East Asia as well, um, from, from Japan and Korea also had, had reporters there. A lot of reporters asked her about what she thought about um, various policy, various economic policy proposals. Uh, so that was just an incredibly interesting and incredibly new experience. Could you tell us a little bit about what Professor Golden herself said to you in the hours after receiving her prize? What does this prize mean to her? Yeah, so Professor Golden, when she won the prize, obviously thanked a number of people who um, sort of who she wanted to sort of give a shout out to. She thanked um, sort of. Uh, groundbreaking, path-breaking women in, in economics that she's worked with in the past and sort of uh, mentioned a number of very prominent uh, women economists as well. And she also thanked her students. Um, and when I spoke to her earlier that morning as well, and again at the press conference, she sort of said that, quote, teaching is the handmaiden of research and she wouldn't be who she is if she wasn't a teacher. And that teaching is so very deeply important to her. She thanked her undergraduate students. She thanked her graduate students. So this is someone who very clearly takes her role as not just a researcher, but as a teacher, very, very seriously and is very, very diligent in working with and um, helping out undergraduate students, graduate students. Thank you, Rahim, for joining us to talk through Professor Golden receiving the Nobel Prize and this historic moment for both Harvard's economics department, Professor Golden herself, and Harvard University. Thank you, Frank. News Talk is hosted by Frank S. Joe. This episode was produced by Gina H. Cho, Melanie Sanchez, and Frank S. Joe. 
Our multimedia chairs are Julian J. Giordano and Joey Huang. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Our president is Kara J. Chang. From 14 Plimpton Street, this is News Talk.